Thank you, Alan, and good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be with you. It's a very strange experience once again for us as we have a slightly larger team presenting this morning, as you noticed, but still an empty auditorium. And just before the commencement of the service, we have to make sure we're quiet here because we don't want our conversation to be broadcast across the world. And so it's almost like Remembrance Day in some respects as we have two minute silence before the start of the service. Uh, last Sunday I was able to have a day sitting at home for church instead of being here. Matt and the team looked after the service and so sat in my garage with the door up and my legs out in the sunshine enjoying uh, the beautiful spring day watching the service that um, Bob uh, brought together online himself and, and Matt and the team who were here presenting and there was much encouragement in that service not only in the things that were sung and the things that were said but because I was able just for a few minutes to watch the engagement levels on the YouTube channel I was using increase and so uh, you know around 10 o'clock just after the conclusion of the prayer meeting a number of people logged on and by 10 past 10 or so there were still people logging in and I stopped taking notice but it was good to see so many people in excess of um, 100 devices connected at least and it was a good reminder though we are spread apart we're still able to be connected. It was curious too to notice that even though we don't have to leave the comfort of our lounge rooms um, some people are still late for church and I was wondering why that was. COVID-19 has dramatically changed our world and our habits but perhaps that's one habit that hasn't been impacted and not even the pandemic can change that. One of the constants, uh, the constant things that we've had to deal with over this past 18 months has been change and every time we come out of lockdown there are new rules to follow, every time we go into lockdown there are new rules to follow and we've had to change the way we shop, the way we work, the way we connect with people, the way we manage life and a few months ago or not a few months maybe six or seven weeks ago now I did actually speak from uh, this context from from the church about some of the losses and the grief that we've experienced but it hasn't been all bad and there are many things that we ought to be very grateful for and the opportunities that we have in this uh, in this space that we find ourselves in which God ultimately will use to bring about the glory of his name and the advancement of his kingdom some people, let's be honest, have found relief in the midst of what were overly busy lives and solitude and silence and simplicity are spiritual disciplines which have largely been lost in the busyness of Western society and it's been good to, to recapture some of those opportunities. <coughs> the heightened awareness of neighbours and neighbourhood has been good. I've shared with some that uh, during 2020 I sat at a desk in the front of our house looking down over the street was amazed at how many people walked up and down with dogs and children and bikes across the course of a day and uh, one of the things that we've been able to rethink is what does it mean to be churches in our neighbourhood, what does it mean to be Christians in our community and as our eldership put some really significant thought and time into 2022 and what 2022 looks like and thinking about small groups and I'll talk more about that in time the impetus that we were given with neighborhood church which literally didn't get the same traction that we hoped it would but the ideas around being Christians in our neighborhood and what it means to minister in our neighborhood 
are, are going to be really, really rich for us and the vision that we have in that space will be terrific. People have found new ways to connect with one another and in the absence of being able to meet face to face, we've found new ways to use technology, we've found new ways to bless people though we can't visit them in their homes. We've had people sneaking around delivering stuff, we're organising for people to receive um, blessings in, in practical ways but in other ways too and we just want to honour those who have been so active in that respect. If you've been reading our newsletter, you'll notice um, last week Bethany and Kendall took some liberties, <laughs> took lots of liberties, and I'm glad that they did. It was a terrific newsletter just highlighting some of the wonderful things that our next-gen teams have been able to do in this area. One of the challenges that we have faced through this past 18 months, and we will continue to face, is, is that of uh, questions that we've never had to deal with before issues that we've not had to wrestle with. Questions like, can we still be church without meeting? Questions like, uh, will lockdown stop the advance of the Delta strain of COVID? And there's some question marks about that. Uh, will vaccines be the way back to normal, whatever that looks like? And as we process these questions, we find them extremely complex. And in responding to them, we sometimes have had to prioritise one thing that we've held important over other things that we also hold important. One thing that we hold true against something else that we hold true. And at times, and perhaps increasingly so, we might find our personal decisions in one area at odds with others in our church family or more broadly in our community. And I just want to take a few moments to address a ground level response to these kinds of challenges just by way of laying some foundation stones, if you like, for us as we think about what some of these challenges might be in the future. One of the things that's really clear in the scripture is this, um, our relationship with Christ radically alters our vertical relationship with God, that is the relationship between ourselves and God. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul said that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, this new relationship that we have with God has a profound effect on our relationship with God. It totally changes our status with God but it also has a profound effect on our horizontal relationships, our relationship with other people. And the scripture makes it really clear, if our relationship on the horizontal doesn't change, then we have every reason to question the veracity or the truthfulness of that vertical relationship. In John chapter 1, verse, uh, sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, John spoke about this. You know, if you say, yes, I love God, but you behave in this way, the, the love of God is questionable. And in his letters, Paul spoke on many occasions about the new ethics, the new way of framing our relationships with other people. Let me just give you some examples. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 53, uh, uh, 33, Paul said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If we were to paraphrase this for modern times, we might say something like this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen or read your emails or see your posts or notice what we like on Facebook or Instagram, in fact, anything that we see that is public. And as Christians now more than ever, we need to be careful and measured in how we speak on issues in the public forum because what we say will ultimately impact other people and one of the tests that I apply when I'm thinking about saying anything uh, or writing anything is asking this question will it actually edify the person that I'm going to say it to or say about is it going to build them up or is it going to tear them down is it going to raise their anxiety or is it going to encourage them and strengthen them in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul spoke to a church about whether they could or should eat food offered to idols. There's a great sermon in this passage. Uh, some Christians in Corinth said, yes, we are free in Christ, we can do whatever we like. And there were other Christians in Corinth who were troubled by it because they were not long into the faith. And so the connection with the idol feasts and, and idol worship was still very strong for them. And in this place there was some tension and Paul addressed that and he said my friends don't let your freedom become a stumbling block for others and so in practical terms it ought to mean that we need to be careful as we express a view or an opinion uh, because we sometimes assume in doing that we are the final or the greatest authority in that space and though we might have strong convictions based on credible evidence if we express it in a strident or unloving manner or in a manner that belittles or vilifies somebody else who doesn't necessarily share my view then I'm not acting in a godly way to the church in Ephesus Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and you see Jesus has done an amazing work in reconciling us to God by dying on the cross and so to reconcile us not only with God but with one another and it's our great responsibility to see that this is not broken by disturbance or dis division or disagreement now I speak of these things by way of introduction today because there are some elements of uh, the COVID challenges that we face right now and potentially face that may be quite divisive for some in the Christian community. Some feel strongly about an issue this way, others about it the other way. And that's probably not just <laughs> on one issue either, there may be multiple issues. And in this context, the scripture encourages us as followers of Christ, as disciples of a living, loving, gracious God, to be humble towards one another. None of us have perfect insight or perfect knowledge. None of us can say we've never ever made a mistake the constant and rapid and unceasing change that we have collectively experienced causes sometimes divisions to be sharpened causes our uh, our actions to be uh, overwhelmed by emotion and otherwise reasonable people can easily become disrespectful towards others whose views are different uh, or perhaps withdraw because they find themselves in disagreement and that's a problem in the uh, broader context of the Christian community. Those kind of responses don't affirm the things that we hold as fundamentally true, that God calls us together 
to life together in a community. And it's good to be reminded that uh, God is sovereign, even in these spaces where we find ourselves challenged and sometimes confused. We don't need to be fearful or anxious. As Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we had to walk by the Spirit, which is great advice. It declares our trust in the sufficiency of God and our desire to let God's Spirit be the one who leads us and guides us and in so doing not gratify our sinful nature. It's a passage that reminds us, reminds us that if we try and go it alone, we're going to run into all sorts of trouble too. If we rely on human wisdom, there will ultimately be uh, a failure in that space. But we don't go it alone. God has given us His Spirit to guide us and counsel us and correct us. And as we depend on Him, then we will glorify God in everything we do, even working through things that we find contentious. Now, some of you might be scratching your heads and wondering, you know, why is David speaking like this this morning? Uh, is there a problem that we have to address? Well, the answer is no, I guess, in some senses. Uh, we are living in such a dynamic environment, I'd just like to take some preemptive action, if you like, and lay afresh the foundation that we stand on, that uh, God has called us together to live in community. God calls us to live in gracious relationship with one another and it's good for us from time to time just to revisit that as our starting point as we face some challenges ahead. May God's Spirit speak to you through those words. Those of you who have seen the newsletter will know that we have some regathering plans. We're not sure when they're going to be able to be enacted, but once uh, the government releases the restrictions or relieves us a little bit in that space, then as soon as we're able to, we will enact those plans and they may be a staggered plan. We'll wait and see how that goes. I have mentioned already too, our eldership is spending a little bit of time at the moment thinking about small groups for 2022 and, and part of our focus uh, in 2022 will be a reformatting of our small groups. We were certainly inspired by the enthusiasm with which some people um, embrace the neighbourhood church concept and the opportunity to be Christians and to minister in a very localised context. We also recognise the importance of small groups running parallel in concert with what we do here and on Sunday morning, not as a subset or a, uh, uh, something underneath that, but right beside it. And so stay tuned for more information in that regard. Anything else that we need to communicate through the week uh, will come through email or through um, our newsletter. We're going to pray and, uh, and then we'll get to the message. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, the passage that uh, we're looking at today from 1 Thessalonians speaks about rejoicing always, praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And we want to sit with those words as we come to you today in our service. We, we pray that we will indeed be people who can rejoice always knowing that you are with us, knowing that you are guiding us, knowing that you are sovereign over all of our circumstances, knowing that you take even the difficulties and challenges that we perceive and face and turn them into opportunities and into fruitfulness for your kingdom. And so we rejoice, Lord, that you are God 
and that you are a great God, that you are a holy God, and that you are a good God. Father, we pray continually. We can't do that with our lips, but we can do it with our hearts. And so help us always to posture ourselves, mindful that you are with us by your Spirit, and that every decision that we make, every action, every conversation, every, every moment, uh, you are present and so we can pray continually, we can adopt that posture of humility before you, seeking your will in whatever it is that we do. And Father, we would also want to give thanks in all circumstances. We know it's impossible to give thanks for all circumstances because not all circumstances are terrific, not all circumstances are good. But even in the difficult times, you are still God and we give thanks we give thanks that you grow us. We give thanks that our faith is sustained. We give thanks that we are uh, lifted by your divine power even in those challenging places. And we believe that in rejoicing and praying and giving thanks, we are uh, very much in the middle of your will in Christ Jesus. Father, we do pray today that as we continue to face some challenges in this COVID world that we live in, you will help us to be wise, help us to be humble, help us to seek your truth, help us to be gracious with one another, help us to be deeply dependent on your leading and guiding, help us to be filled with your joy and help us to have the mind of Christ in everything that we say and everything that we do. Lord, as we come to your word today, from Thessalonians, a word that speaks to us about life and health in human relationships too in the church. We ask that your word might speak to us as well and so pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I kind of feel like I need to change gears or, or do something else. Maybe we could collect an offering or something this morning. It's not going to be a very big one. Uh, but let's, uh, let's not get tangled up there. Uh, you know, when I was a, um, a young man in Boys Brigade, probably about 15, 14 or 15 years of age, I remember a class that was being taught by a fellow, one of our officers, whose name was Graham. And look, to be honest, as a bunch of boys, we were probably a fairly rowdy bunch. And one night, Graham was trying to teach us something. I have no idea what it was. We had classes to earn badges and all that kind of stuff. And, the, the, and Graham was doing his best to impart whatever it was that he wanted to teach us. He was an interesting guy. His family was a little bit left field, but very faithful in the church. And uh, he was there that night trying to teach this bunch of uncooperative recidivists who uh, were there for a good time, if not a long time. And uh, as the class progressed, you could see Graham's temperature kind of rising and it rose and it rose in response to our, um, our misbehaviour until he built up a full head of steam and then raised himself to his full height, which actually wasn't as tall as I was, uh, and exploded with a shout that would have been heard through the church yelling, Don't you know I'm a sergeant in the army? And at that moment we thought it inopportune to say, Oh, well, that would be the army reserve, Graham, but um, we didn't, probably wisely. I've never forgotten that moment. He just got to that point where he had no recourse but to call upon his authority as a sergeant in the Army Reserve in a context that had nothing to do with the Army Reserve. 
And I sat there, I guess feeling chastened to start with because our behaviour really did deserve to be sanctioned. But sad in a way that he had to call upon this kind of positional authority to call us to order. Our respect for him uh, wasn't being expressed based on his character and so we had failed in that space. Uh, And he felt no other option but to call upon his authority from that place, a rank which meant nothing to us to try and engender respect. It's funny how things like that stick in your memory, isn't it? You know, uh, we talk about we might have lived for 30 or 40 or 50 lives, but of all of those years, how much can you remember? And that moment is so alive that I still think about it today. Well, over the span of more than 20 years in ministry, I've had the opportunity to preach through a wide variety of scriptures and have tried um, to never avoid the harder ones when they crop up. A few years ago, in a moment of, um, what's the best way of describing this, perhaps a moment of unconsidered um, lack of wisdom, perhaps, I decided to preach all the way through the book of Revelation, not just the passages at the start that most preachers stop at but all the way from start to finish wow what a project that was but there are some passages of scripture that are harder to preach on than others and the passage that we're going to come to today is one of those the passage that we're going to look at today doesn't have any particularly hard issues or difficult words or concepts or interpretive um, concerns nor is it one that's likely to provoke controversy or division because of its theological emphasis it's a hard one for a pastor to preach on because it calls upon a congregation to honor their leaders and in all of my years of ministry I've never yet raised myself to my full height and said you've got to do this because I'm the pastor of the church just like Graham did that night how does a pastor speak on the topic of esteeming leaders in the church. Well, it might be tempting to skip over a passage like this, but we won't, because in it, Paul articulates some really valuable principles guarding the relationships between the congregation and the leaders and the leaders in the congregation and the congregation and the congregation uh, in the church. Let's read this passage, and Phil's going to throw it up onto the screen for us. Now, we ask you... This is uh, 2 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28, if you'd like to follow in your own uh, scripture. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient, with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. 
I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. A great place to finish that letter to the Thessalonians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This uh, letter, along with a number of other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, is commonly known as an occasional letter, a letter that was written on a particular occasion, or in other words, to address a particular need, or in fact, sometimes a number of questions or issues that Paul had heard the church were wrestling with. And that would be true of this letter too, if we back up even uh, just this last couple of chapters here, we see that one of the things that promoted or encouraged Paul to write to this church was a little confusion they were having about the second coming of Jesus, that second advent of Christ and the divergent views on this topic. The passage suggests that on the one hand there were some in the church who were very excited about the coming of Christ, expecting that it would happen at any moment. They believed that Jesus had ascended to heaven, was going to come back within their lifetimes. There were prophecies in the church calling people back to the right worship of God uh, and it was popular and it was encouraging. But there were others in the church who were struggling and they were struggling in part because some dearly loved brothers and sisters in the fellowship had passed away before Jesus had come back and they weren't expecting that. And they were a little bit suspicious, perhaps, of the enthusiasm of some of the others. And somewhere in the middle of all of this were a bunch of relatively new elders trying to figure out what does being a leader in the church look like. Remember, this is one of the earliest letters that was written in the New Testament. And so the church was still in the process of trying to nut out what it meant to have elders and leaders. And they were trying to navigate this tension and sometimes they weren't doing it so very well, perhaps without the degree of tact or wisdom becoming an elder. And so up to um, verse 11, which Matt ended on last week, Paul had been doing a work of reaffirming the theology that sat underneath this division, correcting that, helping them understand that. And Paul always does that if you have a look at any of his letters. Uh, before he goes to practical applications, what does this mean for life? He always undergirds it with the theology that sits there. And Paul had addressed the practical questions of how the people of God were to live together when there was disagreement or disappointment and we're going to look at that today. Now we could use this context, the, the context that Paul was addressing, uh, and say well what was Paul's advice in that place and we will to some degree but let's just also use the filter of disagreement that we might experience ourselves, disagreement that we might have over worship styles or leadership styles or emphasis on a particular area of ministry or in the current environment of what do we do about uh, you know responding to um, including or excluding people uh, in the life of the church on various grounds. And if we have a look at this passage, Paul um, does four things essentially in his response. First of all, uh, he talks about the importance of respecting and holding in highest regard those who have been given authority in the church because of their work. Second, if we go from verse 14 through to verse 15, Paul speaks about encouraging fellowship in the church, maintaining a healthy fellowship. And then third, from verses 16 to 22, he speaks about enriching the worship life of the church, the focus 
on Christ and what he's done. And then, most significantly, uh, Paul speaks about the overarching engagement of the Spirit of God in this context, bringing the church together, sanctifying the bodies of uh, the members of the body. There might have been some tensions between the congregation and the elders um, in this church. Uh, We're not sure what it was. Chances are, for the most part, it was just trying to figure out what leadership in the church looked like. And so in this context, Paul gave the congregation some really sage advice that challenged some of their cultural assumptions, as indeed the gospel often does. You see, in ancient times a person would be given a position of leadership not on the basis of their character or their experience or of their qualifications but often because they had money. They could become patrons of that particular organisation. A person, for instance, might become the president of the, uh, the Thessalonica Petonk Club uh, not because they had a clue about how to play petonk. Does anyone know what petonk is? I'm just looking at those guys who are here. Well, there you go. You can Google that. Um, we'll talk to Michael later who knows a bit about petonk. Um, a person could become the president. Any of these people could become president. They know nothing about uh, petonk, but they've got money. And the petonk club organisers might think, well, let's make them the president uh, because they will be a good patron for us and, and help our club remain financially solvent. Well, in this passage, Paul reminded the church that the call to respect, the call to esteem leaders and hold them in the highest regard is not based on the leaders themselves, personalities which might from time to time grind our gears even, but because of the work that they were doing in the church. Take a look at the role that they have. The emphasis, or rather the summons to loyalty, to leadership that Paul puts out in this passage is because of their work, not because of their position or their office. It wasn't for them to call upon their authority as elders and say, you need to do this because I'm an elder. Paul says, respect them because of the work that you see them doing. For years, I've wanted to preach on the passage Hebrews 13, 17. Haven't got to that one yet, um, but haven't been game because in this passage, the author says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. Now, this is a really interesting passage. There are bookshops full of volumes, Christian bookshops, full of volumes on leaders, how to be good leaders, how to lead well, how to lead through change, how to lead a big congregation, how to lead a small congregation, how to lead three sheep and a dog. I've never yet found a book which talks about being good followers. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You would think that would be significant. And yet here is some really practical advice for being a good follower. Obey your leaders so their work will be a joy. If we go back to 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, respect them, hold them in the highest regard in love. We don't necessarily have to agree with them. We don't necessarily find them uh, always heading in a direction that we might agree with, but we are to hold them in highest regard in love. And it strikes me that even in the context of disagreement with somebody in leadership, whether in the church or in the secular world, whether it be a pastor, an elder, our mayor, our premier, whoever it might be, 
the starting point of respect and holding them in high regard is not only a godly posture, it is actually the most likely to bring about resolution if there is conflict. From verse 14, Paul turns his attention to enriching the fellowship of the church and I, I read this as Paul encouraging the elders to take certain steps, certain actions to bring about life and health in the church and so perhaps some of these things might have universal application. Paul says, warn those who are idle. The sense in the Greek is to warn those who are deliberately undisciplined, not just those who are sitting on the banana lounge waiting for Jesus to come back, but those who are just playing fast and loose, those who are not considering how their actions and their activities are impacting others, those who perhaps shoot from the hip without thinking about the consequences, those who speak out of turn, those who, uh, who, who speak without thinking, those who take actions without thinking about the consequences. Warn those people. Encourage the timid. Here Paul was writing to a church that was experiencing persecution and uh, the layers of fear and anxiety that that would bring along with the uncertainty about what was happening with the second advent of Christ meant that there were some who were anxious. Some of the translations speak about comforting the faint-hearted and that was good advice for a church in a context where there was much fear because the persecution they faced was very real. And when coupled with the disappointment that they had around this whole question of the advent was potentially quite discouraging. The role of others, leaders in the church, but others too, was to encourage those who had become despondent, lift those up who had become depressed, support the weak, Paul says. Those who are really struggling, the, the Greek sense is, grab those people and lift them and carry them. Support the weak and be patient with everyone. People with a view that's at odds to ours can be very frustrating and engaging with them in conversation or debate can be equally frustration, uh, frustrating, especially if they are particularly dogmatic, as some of us are inclined to be. But there's no excuse to lose patience, to ignore or vilify another person. In fact, in those places we need to draw deeply on the life of the Spirit in us. Remember, one of the gifts of the Spirit is patience and that needs to be expressed in our relationships. Um, Paul might have had individuals in mind or the elders in mind when he wrote verse 14, but the whole church certainly in mind when he said in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to one another and to everyone else. In a context where there was opposition from the Jews and opposition from the Gentiles and opposition from the government, and even tensions within the church, it must have been hard not to want to take revenge or to pay back in kind if you were wronged. But Christian teaching is not only to be applied when it's easy, is it? In fact, as we too face testing times, it's good to be reminded that our faith is a robust faith and is empowered by a divine dynamic, that infusion of God's Spirit. It's to be lived out and can be lived out even in the most trying of circumstances. And tempting though it may be to pay back wrong with wrong, it's ungodly. 
Well, some of the elements that Paul speaks about there in verse uh, 16 and 17 I've already alluded to. Be joyful always. We find that instruction right through the scriptures. It's not just a manufactured joy. It's the joy of the life of Christ in us. Pray continually, uh, not necessarily with our lips, but by our posture before God. Give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. In verse 19... Uh, Paul's perhaps addressing something that was happening in the church. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Perhaps there were some who were just pushing down those who were prophesying and saying, oh, your words are not true, why are you doing that? Uh, Don't quench God's Spirit by acting in an unspiritual way. But there's a safeguard too, and I really appreciate what Paul does. He says, test everything in verse 21. This um, advice in the scripture sets us apart from cults. I've just been doing a little bit of reading and listening about um, uh, cults in, in contemporary culture just this week. And one of the typical strategies a cult will adopt is saying to a person, just believe what we say. Believe what we say. Trust what we say. Paul says, test everything. You know, God's given us minds He speaks in Romans, um, I think it's chapter 12, about preparing our minds for action. Uh, He's given us brains to be used. Uh, He's given us the scriptures that we can measure things with. He's given us the wisdom of other mature people around us. Test everything. It's so critical now because we live in an age that's populated by people with all sorts of agendas. And uh, some who are intentionally and some who are unintentionally spreading Uh, all sorts of misinformation and disinformation uh, through various platforms that we are familiar with and it's so much harder now to know where truth lies or what's right or what is wrong. Paul says, test everything. Don't quench the spirit, test everything. Hold on to that which is good. Avoid every kind of evil. And over all of this, and as I said earlier, Paul encourages us with these words, Because all of this stuff, you know, we can't do it in our own strength, under our own steam, so to speak. God actually does the work of sanctifying us. He prays this prayer, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. The transformation that we need in our hearts and lives is the work of God. Living in harmony with others in Christian communities is not easy. If we try to do it according to our own strength, we will fail. But God is involved in this process. This dynamic of relationship in the Christian community is one enlivened, empowered by the Spirit of God. That is our highest priority, seeking God's Spirit. Uh, Not that we should then become burdened by responsibility, but encouraged because of God's Spirit in this space. Well, Paul finishes with some advice that unfortunately we can't apply. Pray for us, he says. Well, Yes, certainly pray for those in leadership. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Social distancing might have something to say about that and I'm not going to um, give you any advice in that regard. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, again today, we thank you that your word speaks to the very circumstances that we find ourselves in and challenges us not only to walk more closely and deeply with you, 
but to be enlivened and empowered by your spirit in that space. God, we confess there have been times we have relied so heavily on our own wisdom in seeking to know what is right, seeking to mediate our way through relationships in the church, in our workplaces, in our schools, with people that we relate to, our friends, our family, are relying on human wisdom instead of spiritual wisdom quick sometimes to criticise, frustrated by the dogmatism of others, tempted to, uh, to blurt out whatever's at the top of our heads without moderating it or mediating it. Father, this uh, word reminds us uh, that our posture before you ought to be and can be quite different. And so today, we want to say thank you, Lord, because we are part of a community that is so encouraging. There have been so many expressions of support and encouragement that have risen up from within our congregation in this past 18 months. It's just been staggering and it's been significantly encouraging. And we pray, Father, that that just would be a posture that we would all adopt and so become natural as an expression of our faith and love for one another as an expression of our faith and love for you. Lord, we do pray for those today who are anxious, those who are uncertain about what the future looks like, those who are having trouble reconciling some of the questions that we face at the moment. Lord, help us to be drawn back to your word, to some of those fundamentals, some of the foundations that we see in the scripture and re-establish them as our starting point for our deliberations, for those things that we have to consider Lord, we don't want to jump at shadows either. Uh, let us not buy troubles from tomorrow, but face what we face today and be so mindful that you walk with us in this moment, through the rest of today, into this week, that nothing will take you by surprise. Everything is in your hand. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.